Hi, welcome back to Dirty Pink Okami. My name is Samantha Gevjian Clark. Um, today I have Luke O'Neill here, uh, owner of the website Welcome to Hell World, and I want to talk to him today about his project. So the first question that I have for you, Luke, is honestly on your website, the thing that you do that really um, made me want to talk to you on my podcast was that you you have this way of looking at the sort of dystopian nightmare we live in through the lens of individual human stories and in the telling of those individual human stories you have this way of kind of pulling out these these bigger stories about what's going on and I think that's really important because we on the left especially have a tendency to talk about the things that are happening to us in this world as these kind of wooden broad things and sort of miss the, how incredibly human this experience is um, yeah so I wanted to talk to you about that, and like I want to hear like kind of your philosophy on that, like why you think that's important and why you think you're good at it. Well, I think in order to get people to care about issues, you have to sort of remind them that there are actual people involved. You know, it's one thing to say that um, you know police violence is a is a serious problem, but then it's another thing to uh, you know, see the, the learn more about the, the the people that it affects and and what they go through, and you know, or, or to tell stories about uh, people in prison and solitary confinement and things like that. Like everybody knows, oh yeah, solitary confinement is bad, but I don't think you know it's not often that we go seeking out terrible stories like that. Um, and when you hear from or you know from people who are who are sort of suffering under you know, a lot of the terrible conditions we have going on in the country right now, um, it, it kind of, uh, I don't know, it kind of helps, uh, as you say, sort of humanize things. And, and I guess ideally it'll make, make people care more. Not that, you know, I expect my, my newsletter to, uh, actually affect, you know, any sort of serious change, but you know, uh, maybe, maybe it can get, you know, some people thinking about things differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty big believer in the idea that like the it's you don't really have to like have individually impacted a ton of people that like you influence one person thinking that way, you influence another person thinking that way, and it spreads pretty quick. Just even the concept of looking at people <laughs> through this more human lens. Yeah, for sure. And I think maybe what I uh, can maybe do like I, I've given up on maybe this is too cynical of me, but I don't. I think you know the the thirty or whatever 30% of the country is lost, you know, and there's, and there's no speaking to them. And there's certainly, you know, whatever percentage it, it is of people that actually identifies the left. But uh, I think that like, <clears throat> there's some people, people often like talk a lot about what a waste like posting is. And, you know, it's not posting isn't practice, praxis and shit like that. And it's not, and posting isn't doing anything, but like, I think that maybe one thing that we can do is sort of nudge uh, people, you know, Democrats to the left some more, so they actually start caring about this sort of stuff. Um, you know, I I, uh, <clears throat> I have lots of friends who you know, identify as liberal, and you know, in the sort of mainstream sense, and uh, I like to think that maybe I'm sort of, you know, giving them a little bit more of a take on on things that they would care about but they don't necessarily think about too often i agree if that with makes that. sense yeah. yeah 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 for sure um because the people whose minds you're changing aren't really like they're not going to be the people who are that far away from you most likely they're going to be people who really are like 
kind of trying to get where you're at. Right, they just like right. they haven't like had a reason to yet, right? And like right. Although you know, since we're like reliving since it's 2016 forever, and it's like a nightmare <laughs> that we're never gonna wake up from. Uh, you know, maybe it might be harder than it than it seems. You know, I, I didn't. Even, there's some stupid thing going on today with Neera Tandon and Bernie Sanders. I'm just haven't really looked into it yet on Twitter, but it's like you know this some of these really entrenched Democrats can be hard to, to get to, but, well, you know, we do what we can, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a whole swath of people who consider themselves non-political, too, that are that get missed a lot because they're not out there shouting about politics. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I think that people, I think everyone, people who are apolitical just haven't had a reason to be yet. And one thing that's sort of radicalizing people a lot unfortunately is the the nightmare of health the healthcare system mm-hmm. that we all like that affects all of us and it will affect every single american except for like the richest um and you know that has sort of been a gateway from a lot of the you know people i've interviewed and a lot of stories i've written about and, and seen is that's sort of like been a gateway to to waking people up with it you know that the, the for-profit healthcare system that we have going is is really just uh you know one of the the most it's one of the most abusive uh you know uh ways of of treating health uh anywhere in the you know in the world so um i it sounds weird i'm not saying like oh i'm glad people are suffering with poor health care and they're therefore getting you know turning further left but it is something that i've seen and people it's like people are like wait a minute maybe maybe they're you know capitalism and is, isn't all it was uh all i was told it was supposed to be yeah absolutely i mean i know that that sounds that sounds like a really horrible thing to say but unfortunately it does seem like sometimes it takes the struggle worsening for people's minds to change um, oh, right, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not glad that people are suffering by any means. I hope I didn't give that impression. But, but it was just, you know, I'm just. It, the point is that like people who don't think about politics too much, or who don't, who feel like they may be apolitical, um, they just, you know, there's this sort of ticking time bomb that's waiting for people with, you know, they just like everyone. You know, the vast majority of us uh, could have our lives ruined today or tomorrow by a single, you know, accident or, or, or you know, get cancer or something like that. And um, <clears throat> I think by, one, you know, one of the topics I cover a lot is people who uh, have been, um, you know, bankrupted or unable to get health care because they can't afford it. And I think but in telling those stories, that that's also a way of, of getting people to see, like, well, this could, this could happen to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I really wanted to talk to you about is you you have a, a way of, of writing that you, um, you can kind of um, manage to sort of bounce around through different, like, angles on a thing and different kind mm-hmm. of ways of talking about something mm-hmm. that is um, a little bit unusual to kind of pull off. And one of the things that you do that I think is um, is really interesting that is also unusual to be able to pull off is you incorporate poetry an actually surprising amount into yeah. your work. <laughs> and I'm a poet, and um, what one of the reasons I started this podcast the way that I did was because I recognize poetry sort of needs a vehicle if it's going to mean anything to anybody, because no one gives a shit about poetry, for, for good reason. I, right, no, <laughs> they don't. 
think I mentioned this to you in a DM is I used to, I went to school to study and write poetry, but it's been a long time. And so uh, for me, I this is sort of me rediscovering poetry myself over the past year or so. Um, and And then kind of like smuggling it into what are typically political pieces. And a lot of the times there'll be a, a thematic connection between some of the poems that I include, or, or sometimes they'll just be sort of tonally or, or you know, uh, match the mood of the piece. Uh, and um, I think more than anything else, it's been, um, it, I'm trying to like share the same thing that has been going on with me is remembering that poetry exists in the first place. And then, you know, I also have like, fortunate to have a pretty large uh platform on on twitter and um uh, and a, a growing uh you know fairly good-sized uh audience for the newsletter um so i don't know i just think of it as like an extra kind of little treat to, to kind of not force someone to read poetry but to expose them to it in a place where they wouldn't think they would uh would see it otherwise like it's not it's not you, you. You're certainly going to get like better, more in depth, you know, rigorous reporting in like whatever the New York Times or whatever publication than you will in uh, Hell World. But those places, uh, like a newspaper report on healthcare, isn't sort of pausing halfway through to present to to drop a poem in the middle of it or to like, you know, do go on this tangent about mental health or addiction or whatever, which I often do as well so i think i don't know i think people seem to kind of like that it is weird it's really it is like some people i'm sure hate it but for some reason it, it seems to have clicked with a with a good good number of people well i guess that kind of makes me wonder what it is that you think it is about poetry um and you're, you're right you do um you do it in a lot of other ways too i'm kind of like picking on poetry specifically for a reason but like mm-hmm. I'm wondering what it is that you think it is about poetry specifically that captures some aspect of the human experience that that you you kind of have to change tone in order to convey. I I mean, for me, I think like the topic of almost every poem ever, you know, at least every poem that's ever resonated with me in a way is sort of uh, the end of the world and mortality. And, you know, certainly there are other, you know, topics for poetry, but for the, the the type of poetry that I've always um, been drawn to, um, you know, loss and grief and, and things like that. And, you know, that's the subject matter of, of the newsletter. It's, it's pain and suffering and, and people who are, who are struggling and, and, and violence and, and, you know, it just seems sort of natural to um, include poems that, that have that, that, that same, uh, underlying theme uh, as, as as you know the news story in question I might be writing about and I don't know I don't know yeah I honestly don't know what it does I, my my hope is that it sort of puts people in the right headspace head to be respect, receptive to the, the politics stuff and you know I think reading poetry is, is you have to it's a it sort of teaches us how uh, teaches us teaches us empathy in a way I think uh, and in order to be receptive to poetry you, you very much requires a lot of empathy and um, you know which 
I don't know, maybe in a way I think of it as like softening, softening up people's empathy uh, in this sort of one-two punch with, with a, you know, a sad news story and then, and then a poem and, and, you know, kind of getting people, uh, off balance and on, uh, you know, on their heels a little bit and, and, um, I don't know. It just has a. It puts me in a weird headspace when I when I um, juxtapose the two things for myself, and I, you know, I'm hoping that it'll do that for other people as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering, I guess, what you think about the um, the way that poetry sort of does this thing where it kind of skips the process of thought to kind of get straight to an experience. It mm. like, doesn't have to explain itself a certain kind right. of way. And if maybe right. that that like makes someone like experience a thing in this sort of visceral way without having to explain it to them yeah for sure and i also really like the way that it kind of um what's the expression i don't know it kind of like drops the floor out beneath you a lot of great poems like mm-hmm. you you think you're you're you think you're going in one direction and then sort of by the end you realize you know that that it's been about something else the whole time or uh, you know, or there'll be a final line or two that really clicks everything into place, and it, it, it's kind of this like this epiphany. And um, yeah, that's what I—that's what I'm trying to do. In a way, like I think of each newsletter sort of as a as a type of poem, um, although in a way it's the exact opposite because in po- poetry you want to use you know the the exact minimum amount of words. You know, you want to be as precise as possible and. Um, or sorry, as concise as possible, I mean, um, and to cut out every superfluous word, but for some reason I've gone like the entire opposite direction and I am being purposefully sort of long-winded and meandering and, and almost like difficult to read in a way. But the thing that I always try to do by the end of each one is is have that uh, sort of trapdoor feeling at the end, you know, where where you're reading this, like, what's going on here? And then, you know, ideally, it, it sort of all comes together in the last paragraph. You know, and sometimes I'm successful at that, sometimes I'm not, but that's the idea, I think. Yeah, no, I think that that's definitely something I've experienced reading your pieces. Is like, I'll, I'll, it'll seem like you're jumping around. I'm like, how are these things connected? And right. the thing that punches you in the gut is realizing what it is you're saying in all of these things that put them into one piece. And that is very poetic. I just wanted to point out that I realize it sounds super douchey whenever somebody talks about their writing style or whatever. So I just want to get that caveat in there <laughs> that I'm not, I am aware. So please uh, <laughs> ensure your listeners that I'm aware of how, how dumb it sounds. They heard me ask you about it, so it's okay. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, well, anything else that we can uh, do for you? Um, at this point, I think that it would just be good for you to tell people where they can find you. Sure. So if you'd like to uh, check out my newsletter, Welcome to Hell World, you can do it at uh, luke.substack.com. And uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at LukeO'Neill47, but you might have to uh, request because I'm locked down now because all of the right-wing assholes are are swarming me. So, um but if uh, if your if you your account looks like you're not a Nazi, I can uh, I can just add you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for uh, for asking me nice questions. I appreciate it. Of course. Okay. Bye bye. Bye.
right, folks, before I get into our poetry segment to close out, I want to say thank you to all my patrons who subscribe on Patreon at $5 or more. That's Becca Edwards, James P. Mullen, Joel Campbell, and Dead Wolf. You can find that at patreon.com slash dirtypinkokami if you want to support my work. Um, this poem that I'm going to read is called Hold Fast, and I'm using it for this episode because uh, Luke O'Neill mentioned it in one, of his, um, in one of his pieces called I Was Sad to Be Born, He Tells Me, Because It Means I Will Die. You can find that piece um, posted on Hellworld. Um, it was posted April 13th, and it's a public post, so you can read it. And then from there, you can realize how excellent everything is, and you can subscribe to his newsletter. This is Hold Fast by Robin Beth Shear. The dead are for morticians and butchers to touch, only a gloved hand. Even my son will leave a grounded wren or bat alone like a hot stove. When he spots a monarch in the driveway, he stares. It's dead, I say. You can touch it. The opposite rule. Butterflies are too fragile to hold alive. Just the brush of skin could rip a wing. He skims the orange and black whorls with only two fingers. The way he learned to feel the backs of starfish and horseshoe crabs at the zoo. The way he thinks we touch all strangers. I was sad to be born, he tells me, because it means I will die. I once loved someone I never touched. We played records and drank coffee from chipped bowls, but didn't speak of the days pierced by radiation. A friend said, let her pretend. She needs one person who doesn't know. If I held her, I would have left bruises. If I undressed her, I would have seen scars. So we never touched, and she never had to say she was dying. We should hold each other more while we are still alive, even if it hurts. People really die of loneliness. Skin hunger, the doctors call it. In a study on love, baby monkeys were given a choice between a wire mother with milk and a wool mother with none. Like them, I would choose to starve and hold the soft body.